0: Hey friends, it's Matt Weaver here with Bible Truth Project, and we have uh, Doug Hamp here to, again to talk to us about some interesting things that he's um, been researching over the last uh, year, etc. As he comes, in, and he actually is is just ready to release his uh, another book. It's, you've written many books, but the third of the series, "Corrupting the Image," which is due out uh, in the next couple days. So. Thank you, Doug, for joining us. We appreciate it. We, we're anticipating what we can learn from you tonight.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Matt. It's really a pleasure to be back on your show. And yeah, crypting Image 3, I'm really excited about it. The Kindle version is coming out this Saturday, and we'll have the print version hopefully next week. That's our goal. So nice. uh, they have to be done separately, so that's why it's taking little yep. no longer. But sure. yeah, I, it's going to be great.
0: Awesome. Well, one of the things that kind of piqued my interest is a couple of weeks ago I was watching you doing a presentation. I think you did maybe three months ago, something like that. And you happened to mention Gog. And uh, obviously, he's a very ominous figure in biblical prophecy. If you look at the scripture, it's not mentioned that much, but he's mentioned in Ezekiel and he's mentioned in Revelation. And so it's, it's, he's a central figure to the identity that a lot of people uh, attribute to Antichrist or false Christ. And uh, so I, I really found it interesting the way that you presented that, and it, and I was like, I need to have another conversation with with you. So, um, you so let's let's dig into that a little bit. I mean, just from a scriptural standpoint, I'll just look at a few references here just to kind of orient people, and right. then I'll give the time to you. So the first mention that we really hear uh, about Gog that I just looking here before the show is Ezekiel 38, one through five. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face toward Gog or Gog of the land of Magog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal prophesy against him and say, thus saith the Lord, behold, I'm against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws and I will bring you out with all of your army horses, horsemen, all of them splendidly dressed, a vast assembly with breastplate and shield, all of them wielding swords with them, will be uh, Persia, Cush, and Put, all of them with shield and helmet. And then we have a reference in Revelation, uh, 20th chapter, when it says, when the thousand years is ended, Satan shall be released from his prison, and he shall come out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea, and they come up on the broad plain of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire fell from heaven and consume them. And then the only other mention in Scripture that's directly connected... Is Genesis 10-2 where it talks about Magog being in the table of nations. So he, uh, Magog was one of the sons of Japheth, right. and he controlled a, a region um, kind of up in the Baltic Sea area, as I understand right. it. But right. but that's the just general orientation. So I guess right. take it from there, Doug.
1: <laughs> no, that was a great summary. <laughs> so the, the thing that really uh, got my interest was Ezekiel 38-17, Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? So this begs the question, where was God talking through the prophets about Gog? We have no other record except for Ezekiel and what you mentioned later in the book of Revelation. Okay, so where in the world could God have been speaking about this figure known as Gog? Um, The answer, nowhere, right? This is kind of a problem. Um, But once we understand what the word actually means, and there've been different etymologies, uh, there's a Hebrew word related, Gog, which is a roof. Uh, That doesn't seem to make any sense, right? So um, I, I actually decided to trace it back to Sumerian. Why would I go back to Sumerian? Well, Sumerian is probably the oldest language in the world. Uh, the word Shumer or Sumer, it comes from uh, a related Hebrew word, which is Shnei Dei which means the two rivers. Two rivers, which is Mesopotamia. Okay, so the language of Mesopotamia, the language of ancient Babylon, um, and I won't get into too many details about that because there's sure. different scholars will say for different things. But we're talking very generally about that that basic area where the Tower of Babel was. All that stuff. Uh, the area was known as Sumer. All right. So there's good reason to go back to Sumerian. When we take it back, take this word Gog back to Sumerian. Uh, lo and behold, what do we discover? It means both uh, enmity and death. All right, now that blew my mind. I'm like, wait a second. This is kind of interesting. And what I talked about in Corrupt Image 2 was that Satan, Enlil, he was the god of death. That was his major epithet, the god of death. So we have a very clear connection. And once I understood that Gog is simply another name for for, uh, Satan or the hybrid that Satan will essentially become in the beast. uh, Once we understand that, then it makes perfect sense, right? And and there were so many linguistic clues that I just kept digging out of this word. I mean, there's so many other things, you know, so it can, again, I mean, enmity, right? Where do we first find the word enmity? Well, Genesis 3.15, I will cause enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed I mean this is just like big neon signs all over this thing say here I am here I am you know and um and of course we know that Gog is um you know he's an end times antagonist to the nation of Israel in particular and when we when we start to compare the events that are happening in uh in the book of Ezekiel compare them comparing those with Armageddon, what do we find? It's the same event. They're not two separate events, but they are absolutely the same event. So, you know, that I think really has to be, um, you know, considered. Uh, I actually have a little comparison in the appendix of my book um, to show that these are really looking at the same thing. So we see that Gog and the beast at the end of days or end of years. Ezekiel 38, after many days, you'll be visited. In the latter years, you will come uh, to the mountains of Israel. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land. Well, then we see concerning the, the Antichrist or the beast in Daniel 8, what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation, the latter time, the end, many days in the future, right? God is going to bring Gog or the beast to Israel, Ezekiel 39. And I will turn you around and lead you, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. And we see in Daniel that uh, news from the east and the north is going to trouble the beast and that he's going to go into Israel. And of course, in Revelation, they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. All right. And there's just so many more, right? So some of these things uh, God and the world nations uh, will attack Israel, the nations that we find in, in Genesis. 10 we also see that evil plans or thoughts and he's boastful uh, global shaking because of god's presence the walls fall right and on it goes god's face is seen fire and brimstone rain on Gog. we have the same events happening in the um in, in the battle with um with the, with the beast uh, their armies are confused and attack one another great hailstones pestilence blood and fire and brimstone Gog and the beasts are destroyed at the end of the battle. Birds feast on kings and the horses uh, at God's supper. And after both battles, weapons of war are destroyed. After the battle, God's name no longer will be profaned, and then God will pour out His spirit and not hide His face any longer. And after both battles, what is it? What do they say? It is done. And then, lastly, after the battle, God shows His glory among the nations. I mean, there's so many uh, scriptural comparisons that we can look and say, look, this is talking about one and the same battle. So once we understand that, the Gog is just yet one more name for the beast, and, and just so that people kind of see where I'm coming from on this thing, because they may not be able to read my mind, but what I talk about in Corrupting Image 2 and Corrupting Image 3 is that Satan and a human, in the ancient, in book two, I talked about how it was Nimrod, that they became a uh, a hybrid creature, a hybrid being, uh, and that's all over the ancient literature. And in the uh, in the New Testament, in the Book of Revelation, we find that Satan is going to, or the dragon is going to give his power, throne, and authority to the beast. And everyone's going to say, "Who can make war with the beast?" I mean, this guy has the goods. He's not going to be your regular human. And this t- takes us back to what I wrote about in Cryptic Image Volume One which was Genesis 315, I will cause enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed, right, so it, it, it shows us how much these things are connected, and understanding that Gog means enmity or death, it really helps us to understand how God could have been speaking about uh, Gog through all those years, and through all the prophets, because who was he talking about, he's talking about Satan, he's talking about the arch enemy of of humanity and of course who is pitted against god he's absolutely talking about the king of death and we see that theme throughout scripture so there's really um you know nothing but good good reason to to say that these have to be one and the same event and when we start to actually dig into what does this event look like i mean it's pretty amazing especially when we we compare and contrast with what's happening in the book of Revelation, also in the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, for example, and other places that are talking about the battle, that uh, it, God himself, Jesus, is going to come back, and he is going to fight against this horde of, of uh, Nephilim, these hybrids that will be coming against Israel in the last days, coming specifically against Jerusalem in the last days, and what's this kind of blew my mind i was i was thinking about this and god says i'm going to put a hook in your jaw right and i'm like all right what's up with that actually i was thinking why would if you're the if you're the beast and you've conquered the whole world why would you feel the need to go to israel what's up with it and then i was like oh yeah god said he's going to put a hook in his jaw right so and we see this so many times where it says that all the nations are going to come together against Jerusalem. We see this in Zechariah a few times, of course we see it in Revelation, we see it in, um, in, 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 Je- in Exit, whatever Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Right? So we, we see this, that all the nations will come. Now here's where a skeptic might say, well wait a second, uh, in Ezekiel it's only talking about very specific nations. True, however when we go back and we look at the table of nations what we find in the table of nations is that the nations represented in Ezekiel are the same nations that are represented in the table of nations. And speaking of tables, I have a table in in my new book um, so that it's much easier to see that they're talking about one and the same places. So Magog, we see that, uh, Gomer, um, Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Kush, right? These are places that are very much mentioned in the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, uh, put uh, that's the same place that's mentioned in the table of nations, uh, Beit Togarma. you know, all these places are already there. They're, they're mentioned. And so we just have to understand that when the table of nations was given, Excuse you might say, well, America wasn't represented in the table of nations. Well, that's true. America wasn't represented in the Table of Nations. However, the American people were represented in the Table of Nations. How? Because uh, we all came from those people groups, right? So, you know, they started, they came after the flood, and then these are the different nations that were there, and then they spread out to the entire world. So the nations that are represented in the Table of Nations eventually became all of the nations of the world. And I I think that's a very concise way to to kind of put it all together. It's not just these modern states that we're looking at, but it's the the ancient understanding of what these peoples were, and of course, that they spread out to everywhere.
0: Well, I think the same thing is true in in the identity of Gog from the Gog. I mean, it's like, God obviously is looking back to that era, which I guess if you look in the um book of jubilees which is you know pseudepigrapha but still you see that dividing point when noah divides the earth with, to his sons and it's kind of alluded to that in genesis kind of the same concept is going on where this division takes place and it's in these sons if you if you follow that line of reasoning or thread that all the nations of the world come from and I, it's logical because we all know that that time frame of history you know what is that 2500 3000 bc etc probably somewhere oh, in there yeah. that obviously there's less people alive and so the civilizations that existed that even come out um of of even in just accepted you know secular history it, that's a very pivotal time in, in in the human cycle so no no question no question that 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 is definitely in view here, but Gog, it's interesting, you know, that you mentioned the whole enmity thing. I mean, that is, that makes so much sense in light of that prophetic narrative. Okay. So Genesis three fifteen is often looked at as that, that laying the groundwork, if you will, for ultimately what God is going to do. He's going to, to, it's a, it's a battle of the seeds, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, seed of yeah. the woman, seed right. of, you know, seed of Satan, same thing. Same thing kind of going on, so it just makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense, makes more sense than um about anything I've heard. So, good, good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I've heard yeah. a lot of stuff, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff yeah. people try to twist it and this and that, but somehow your approach with going back versus reading forward mm. just makes way more sense. It just it, it puts the context to it that's missing, I think, in a lot of people's understanding of, of, of prophetic text. It's mm-hmm. somehow they think they need to try to figure out in today's world what it looks like, which is fine. It's part, it's fun. Number one, it's fun to try sure. to figure out what God is trying to say. But ultimately, understanding that historic context, uh, it was one of the things that I saw, in, like corrupting the image, this whole chimeric thing. All of a sudden, I I, I it I understood. Some of the imagery of Daniel in the sense that you know these are ancestral creatures, these aren't modern creatures in the sense that they're creations. I mean, they could be, but they're these are spirits that you know of fallen ones coming back. That whole concept just makes so much sense with what, what prophetic texts are trying to tell us that there's a there's a coming again a, a cyclical, uh, or a cyclical type of thing going on here. Um, I kind of looked at it. There was there's a oh there was a conference that I spoke at a few months ago where I, I, I spoke about kind of the pattern that I see. And obviously some of this has helped to some of the things that you've written about. but you know you have hmm. the first rebellion which is Satan's rebellion, you have the second rebellion, which is the Watcher's rebellion, Genesis 6. And then you have the Genesis 11, which is the Nimrod thing you know, in Genesis, Mm -hmm. and I never, never thought of it this way, but in Genesis, there are three rebellions Mm -hmm. and there's the descent of humanity Mm -hmm. and Genesis ends with, it's very important. The Genesis ends with the answer, Abraham, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have this beginning and then you have this complete descent and decline, ultimately leading to God, turning his back on the nations, if you will, and choosing Abraham. Mm -hmm. And, and then when you read, um, some of the prophetic texts but let's say for instance um in thessalonians there's a another rebellion coming you know paul mm-hmm. uses that concept of rebellion well the last real thing that you look at a rebellion in scripture in kind of in that context is was nimrod i mean the mm-hmm. name to rebel so anyway right Exactly. It was, it, it's just interesting <laughs> yeah. that even in, yeah. in Paul's mind, there's some kind of rebellion that's deceptive. That's going to trick the world. And yeah. he's pulling from that imagery. Um, right. You know, somebody who's going yeah. to sit in the temple of God and declare himself to be, you know, God. And, and- yeah,
1: that, that word there, the, the apostasy is really a huge thing. Um, so I actually talked about that in corrupting Crypt- image three and, The thing that I kept going back to, to really wanting to understand, was how in the world is Satan, who is a who is a created being, right? He he's finite, even though he's incredibly brilliant and all this stuff, but he's still finite. God is infinite. How does he imagine he's going to uh, square up against God and and fight him? Well, it's just like he did in the first place, right? When he when he usurped God's authority. That was the battle, right? He didn't sit down and say, okay, God, let's arm wrestle and maybe I'll win, right? He's not stupid. He knows God has infinitely more power. So it's always a legal battle. This whole thing is a legal battle. And the word apostasy, the apostasia in yep. Second Thessalonians 2 is a really significant word. Now I've heard it used for all different kinds, you know, suggesting it's the rapture and all this. It's not. The word apostasia is when you leave some established relationship. That's what it's about. In fact, it's so much about leaving a relationship is that when you got divorced, you were given a Sefer, or in, in Greek, it would be a Biblios uh, um, uh, apostasion, okay? Or maybe it was biblion apostasion. So you you, you got a, a book of divorce, right? That was the word, apostasion. Hmm. And apostasia is simply the abstract noun, and then apostasia is the actual article, the book that you would get uh, for that that leaving of that relationship, right? So it's telling you that there's some relationship that is being neglected. It's being forsaken. What possible relationship could Paul have been talking about? Well, I think this is where we go to Daniel chapter 12, and he says that, you know, Michael, the archangel who stands, watch over your people. And it says in that day, there will be this, you know, time, unlike any other. And it's like, wait, so there's Michael, he's going to stand up. He's the one who watches over your people. And then in the very next phrase of that sentence, it says that there's going to be this terrible time where your people are getting trashed. I'm like, well, I thought Michael was on the job. Like what happened? why is he no longer on the job? And I think that's what Paul is answering is that Michael is on the job, but he's going to be taken off the job. Mm. He's going to get the can. He's going to get fired. He's going to get sent home. And who is he working for? Well, Daniel tells us that he stands watch over your people, Daniel. Who are your people, Daniel? Well, certainly Israel as a whole, more specifically, perhaps the Jewish people, possibly. And when... Um, so yeah, when, when Michael is standing, he's on the job and then he's replaced, how would that happen? Well, we're told that in Isaiah chapter 28, where it says, woe to you, scornful men who rule this people who were in Jerusalem for you say that we have made a covenant with death and with shale, we are in agreement. Hmm, that doesn't sound very good. Yep. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood, we've hidden ourselves. All right. And the antidote to this, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So something is going on. These guys are making a covenant with death and Sheol and God starts talking about this this uh, stone for a foundation, same language as Psalm 118, by the way, the the stone that the builders rejected. Mm -hmm. And then he says in verse 18, your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with shale will not stand, right? So something's happening here. They're going to make a covenant with death and shale, right? We're told very specifically, that's what they're going to do. We've made a covenant with death and with shale, we are in agreement. Well, here's what's mind-blowing in revelation chapter six it talks about this in the fourth seal and it says so i looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death well there's death and hades followed with him well hades and shale are exactly the same thing they're just two different languages yep. one's hebrew one's greek right hades shale same person same whatever so death and hades are following this pale horse and and <laughs> this is what blew my mind it says and and this is the New King James, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. That's the wrong word. And authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth. Authority—that's a really big deal. And when it says a fourth of the earth, don't think a fourth of all humans, but think a fourth of all habitable uh, surface area on planet Earth. It should
0: be all the land masses.
1: This blew my mind because I'm like, I wonder how much. Area of this Earth, because I was thinking, I know it's like what seventy-three percent or something of the Earth is ocean or water. So I was like, I wonder if anyone's ever done a study. So I just looked it up, and I found Tobler et al. from 1999. They did this study that uh, showing that humans live on. Ready for this? Twenty-five point four percent of all (laughs) the surface area of planet Earth. (laughs) I was like, okay, there you go. It's right on the money. All right, so. So what that's telling us is that the covenant with death and Sheol is not only something that's, that the, the leadership in Jerusalem are going to make, but all of humanity are going to make a covenant with death and Sheol. And we, we know who death is, it's Gog, right? It's, it's Enlil and all of his various names, Nergal, and so many that I talked about in Criptim 2 right? That is Satan. So Satan working through a proxy, probably, uh, the, the beast, who is his avatar, he's going to set up this covenant with death and shell. Now, why would humanity do that? I mean, that sounds like a really dumb idea, right? Well, God is just giving us the spiritual reality of what they're doing. It's going to come decorated. It's going to have fancy colors. And, and there's going to be every reason to sign this thing. Why would humanity sign it? Because there will be an existential threat to planet Earth. And it was actually ronald reagan who talked about such an existential threat uh back when he was uh, hanging out with mikhail gorbachev he said you know wouldn't it be interesting if we had an external threat from outside this world you know how quickly we would forget our national differences yeah well thank you ronald reagan you're absolutely <laughs> right all right and of course we've seen a, a, a zillion movies that are taught you know show us that we all have to come together i mean you had uh, independence day right where Uh, When when big craft alien craft show up, then suddenly we are best friends, and we have to fight to uh, overcome these guys. So, what would it be? Well, the Bible tells us what's going to bring the world together. Revelation chapter eleven. There are going to be two witnesses. They're going to come to Earth with superpowers, and they are going to be witnessing of the coming of the end they're going to be saying, hey guys, the clock's up, God's coming back, time to repent. And the world's like, shut up, we don't want to listen. And like, well, sorry, I'm not here to shut up. I actually came and I've got special powers, by the way, right? And so as the world tries to silence these guys, it says that they they can uh, have fire come out of their mouth and they can strike the earth with plagues as often as they desire. During the time of their ministry, they can make it so that it does not rain and they can turn the waters to blood. Now think about it, what is that going to do geopolitically to our world? What's that gonna do to the supply chain? What's it gonna do to the food? Well, we're not gonna have too much food, right? We're gonna be, um, (laughs) it's gonna be a really rough time because um, drought, massive drought, uh, massive drought of course leads to, I mean, obviously no food, but it also leads to forest fires and all kinds of stuff. Uh, when you have the oceans, at least a third of them turning to blood, that's gonna cut down on the food supply. So these are the things that we actually see in the seals. We're gonna have starvation on a global scale, uh, You know, so the wheat is gonna increase, uh, I did the math, I, I think it was like by 81,000% or something, the price of wheat, I mean, it's something insane, how much the price of wheat goes up. Mm right? So, you know, one little thing of wheat, which is like, I don't know, 16 cents today for like, I forget the measure. Maybe is it one cup or something like that. It's like some, you know, something so incredibly small, but one cup of wheat is going to go up to like a day's wage. So how much is a day's wage? I don't know, $120, $150, something like that. <laughs> That's going to be crazy expensive, right? So that is going to happen because the two witnesses are gonna come on the planet and they're going to start to, you know, making the world listen. Hey, the king is coming. And the world's gonna say, you know, blank, blank, blankety blank you. <laughs> we don't like you, get out of here. But they will not be able to overcome the two witnesses because they've got superpowers. And it says that nobody can stop them. If anybody tries, they're gonna be, be shot down with fire. Okay, so what's the solution? This is where Satan says, hey, uh, I've got a deal for you. Uh, I know you're having a little trouble with those two witnesses. I can take care of them. You, you know, you, Trust me, I'll get rid of them. It's kind of the Pied Piper thing. You got a problem with uh, mice or rats, I'll take care of it for you. But there's a cost, right? There's always a cost. And, and so this is where the world's going to say, anything you need, we're willing to pay the price because this is an existential threat to planet Earth. We've got to get rid of these two characters. And this is where he whips out the paper and says, okay, here's my little covenant with death and jail. Again, it's all, um, it's all packaged very beautifully. you might say, wait a second, the world's going to just sit down with Satan and say, okay, yeah, this, it doesn't make any sense, right? So again, we need to have a strong delusion. What's the strong delusion so that people will say, oh, this makes amazing sense. Well, what's been happening for the last 70, 80 years, we've had aliens, UFOs, whatever you want to call them, UAPs, the names keeps changing, but these have been floating around the skies, very well documented, mind you. You know, the, the Pentagon released some Navy fighter planes going after a, uh, a, a UAP, a UFO, right? So you can't deny it, right? It's like, okay, that's real. That That's definitely a something and we can see it on camera and it does not follow our uh, laws of physics. It is some kind of interdimensional craft or interdimensional being that these guys are looking at. So we already know that there are these, uh, these, these various beings that are out there. Um, we know they're incredibly powerful. We're not entirely sure if they're if they're good or bad, but they don't seem to be bad because they haven't destroyed us yet. And so a lot of people have come to the conclusion, well, maybe they've just lived here for eons and they were here long before humanity. And they're kind of watching over, they're sort of the guardians of planet earth or something like that. So, you know, now when two hostile witnesses show up, you're going to go to these other guys and say, Hey, could you help us? And that is when I think they're going to have their their show of force, maybe, you know, alien craft around the world show up, who knows exactly how they're going to manifest themselves, but they'll do it in such a way that it's absolutely believable, it's impressive, and they'll say, we're here to help you, we will get rid of those two, we all just need to come together and agree to this, this, this contract, you know, so that everybody's in on this thing, and it's going to be a strong delusion. And it says, and uh, Paul says, because they did not receive uh, the love of truth, they're going to receive, they're going to receive the lie. They're going to be deceived by this because they didn't receive the love of truth. What was the truth? The two witnesses were preaching the truth. Repent. The time is near. God's coming back. This is the time to get things right because, well, he's coming, right? So, that needs to be, uh, set up, but it's going to be, um, you know, the lawless one is coming. He will come according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Wow. And they're going to be condemned, condemned, uh, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I mean, it's, it's really a sad commentary, but that is what we're going, we're, we're going toward. And so, you know, again, just putting the pieces together, it's like, okay, we've got, you know, the two witnesses over here, we've got this strong delusion and, you know, just kind of slowly putting the pieces together. And this picture starts to emerge that I feel like this is a really exciting movie you know like this is going to be something if we watch this on the big screen we're like oh man that's seriously cool right but here's the scary part according to scripture this is going to happen do we know when i have no idea when this is going to happen right at the end that's all i can tell you um do i think we're getting close i do but i don't know i don't know when it's going to happen but one day this is all going to come onto the the big screen of planet earth and we're going to experience this stuff
0: yeah, there's several, several points you were talking about there that was stirring thoughts. I mean, the witnesses thing, I was following some of the roundtable discussion you were having uh, on the on the witnesses thing. And that's a fascinating, fascinating discussion in and of itself, because um, it's one of those unique aspects of that revelation brings in, into the equation that doesn't exist, that doesn't exist in the prophets, per se where God brings these witnesses with nobody knows exactly who they are. Of course, there's some ideas um, personal opinion, it's Moses Elijah, but it could be other people you know yeah yeah sure. I the, the the connection is and I don't know if if you make this connection out, but one of the reasons I think that it's important is because well, Those are the two that are cited being with Jesus on on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you understand, you know, the spiritual connection of probably Mount Hermon where that was taking place, they Mm -hmm. were witness to Messiah there. And then Mm -hmm. as soon as Jesus ascended, it says there were two men standing there and it doesn't say angels. Mm -hmm. It just says men. And they said, you men of Galilee, Mm -hmm. why are you standing here? The same Jesus who you saw will come again so it was a connect like it, it's it's just one of those things that the witnesses are in a sense it makes sense so elijah represents prophets moses the torah they stand witness to the coming of messiah they ultimately all spoke about and pointed to and everything that they did and stood for but mm-hmm. and to have that actually show up in jerusalem as a witness to the world and it's going to be an annoyance like no other i mean look at the the world situation we're in now if you have two ancient um jewish dudes show up and start preaching the truth to the world with signs to follow that's going to shake everybody yeah it's going to shake right? everybody i think it's even going to yeah. probably offend most of christendom it's yeah. going to defend some of the jewish people i mean you know unfortunately throughout history they've they they persecuted their own prophets so wouldn't expect change there it's definitely going to offend islam because mm-hmm. the truth is will be contrary to what they're talking about there's just a lot mm-hmm. going on there um uh, i mean talk about other religions hindus etc obviously they don't receive the truth so it's 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 a very interesting culmination point <laughs> it was enjoyed the conversation you guys were having about it That's so um cool. yeah. yeah the um so coming back to the, the conflict or the battle of Gog Magog and connecting that to Armageddon, Armageddon is like, so what do you do with the whole thousand years? Like the, in in Revelation 21, where it talks about thousand years and then gathering Gog Magog, right. because there's some people that bring that up. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it's kind of a, it's, I know it's a thorn in the flesh for a lot of uh, prophecy people, because it clearly puts it at the end of the thousand years yet there's Mm -hmm. no question that armageddon is speaking kind of about the same thing
1: So how
0: how do you how do you find resolution in that
1: well i think understanding what the what the term means uh resolves the the question so it says so satan is released he'll go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth and then it's just gog and magog to gather them together to battle whose numbers as the sand of the sea all right so it's kind of a weird thing like these these are just thrown in there yeah. um you know is it just like hey remember Gog and Magog that's what i would suggest okay so obviously we're going to go back to ezekiel chapters 38 39 and there we learn about Gog and we just have to plug in the just plug in the equation right who is gog what does it mean it means enemy or enmity and death, right? Who is Satan, right? So that's the same scenario. Uh, Magog just refers probably to that that uh, hmm. uh, geographic place, yep. right? And and this is uh, this represents you know the, the people that are involved in this whole thing. So you know I, I would say that it's a repeat, but understanding that the word Gog means death or enmity. And it's talking about Satan or one of his cronies or some hybridization of him and a crony. I think it solves the whole problem, right? So
0: it's the pale uh, horse. I'm hoping
1: to address that in, in Corrupting Image 4 whenever I get to it. But uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: In essence, it's the pale horse. You know, what you just talked about, uh, I believe it's the pale horse in Revelation, it was 11. No, we were just there. 16.
1: Revelation six, uh, 6, the fourth seal, is that right? Yeah, fourth seal. Yeah, the pale horse. Yeah.
0: Where it talks death and death and hell, which makes sense. So, I mean, that actually would work. God is just releasing death and hell again out of its cage.
1: Pretty for much. One, for yeah.
0: One, for one last go. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. That works. Right.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting about the, the millennium is that you're going to have this, this hunger among people. To not want to follow God. And they're going to say, if I could just do it my own way, then I could, you know, be happy. I could finally, you know, wouldn't have to answer anybody and do it my own way. Well, that's not going to work really well during the millennium, because it's Jesus' way, very clearly. So how does like how will a person who doesn't want to follow Jesus, what's their solution? Well, they're going to be wanting some kind of a champion to come and lead the way. And so Satan gets out. He's their champion. He probably makes all kinds of promises. You know, hey, I'm going to make you guys the greatest nation ever again. And um, just follow me. Okay, wonderful. You can take care of this This Jesus guy. Oh, yeah, leave him to me. I've been, I've been thinking about this for a thousand years. I've got the ultimate plan. It's foolproof. And quite frankly, I think it is foolproof. I, th- I think this is where, um, and I, I've definitely thought this whole situation through. I, I think that when, You know, because what does God say? There will be no more war. There will be no more weapons. And the gates of the new Jerusalem will never be closed. But he also said that nothing defiled or unclean can ever go in to the new Jerusalem. All right. So you're Satan. You now have this horde of people who are following you. What's your strategy? Right? The gates are open. What do you do? Well, it's pretty simple. We march up to Zion. We march up to the new Jerusalem. We put our foot across the threshold. And we prove God to be a liar. And that creates a cosmic imbalance, uh, which then means that now there is disunity, there's imbalance, and that has to be balanced out. And so then basically it's back to square one, where Satan takes the earth, God takes heaven, everybody's happy, so to speak. And uh, and there you go, right? Problem solved, right? This is, this is foolproof, because you've got billions of feet that could potentially walk across the gates of the city. Mm. And I think that is gonna be his, his basic strategy is that, hey guys, we just have to put one foot, you know, there's billions of us, but one of us has to get a foot across or all of us. And then we can come to terms, we can come to the negotiation table with God and we can vie for terms. So um, again, it goes back to a legal battle, right? It, it's always a legal battle that he's fighting against God. It's never one of superior force, superior strength, because he knows he doesn't have it, right? God can just speak a word and things are done. But if God makes promises, he says, this is going to happen, absolutely. And then if Satan can overturn that, then you have a a legal um, situation that has to be rectified or God's honor and God's name mean nothing which they do mean a lot right they mean a ton so so then these are your options right either god you're a liar or give me back my planet (laughs) i think he i think it's kind of clever uh if i'm correct we'll have to wait and see right but I, i think that's going to be the scenario and um yeah that's book four anyway
0: i mean i always like to say that god is a he's trying to weave this incredible story and he's just using would you say it is using the situation in all his wisdom he's going to use it for maximum glory and obviously until we get there you know we don't understand everything we don't understand the puzzle pieces how it all fits together but there's these clues and there's these things that that definitely hint towards you know what's going to take place and i think there's some uh you know there's some holes and and that's probably on purpose so that the enemy doesn't have full access to exactly how God's going to do it, you know, because
1: mm-hmm.
0: otherwise he could, he's, he's smart. So he could do something possibly that could interfere, but, but it's just the whole fascination of, of that reality coming to fruition, which is, I think at the heart of um, it should be at the heart of all believers. Like this is our story and this is our King coming to rescue the world and creation and finally fix it. Finally, Generations and generations and generations of suffering, and dealing with evil and corruption and all of that, gone. Like, mm-hmm. amazing.
1: Yeah, right. Something exactly. that
0: politics can't do. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs>
1: That's um, so true.
0: I just wanted hmm. to reference this real quick. So Acts one ten is where I was talking about the two witnesses as they were still staring into the sky while he was going. Suddenly, two men in white clothes stood near them. Doesn't say angels. Hmm says men and the same thing in luke um when they're standing in the tomb uh, mary and they looked into the tomb this and suddenly there were two men standing there it doesn't say angels it says men so hmm. i make the connection um it struck me it's like you know two men two men two men so if it's moses and elijah they've been tracking this whole thing <laughs> they saw yeah. when he got out of the tomb they saw when he went into heaven and they told the apostles they're coming back or he's coming back just the way you saw him. So
1: I really, I like that. That's, uh,
0: it's kind of makes sense because it's literally, I hadn't thought of that. You know, I just thought, well, men
1: sometimes, you know, just a Appalachian for angels or
0: yeah, no, they're um, the witnesses. They're the ones that witness the whole thing. You know, God used,
1: I I like it. I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's good. It's really good. That's Um, a a great thought. I'm going to use that. (laughs)
0: it's not original with me it's original (laughs) in scripture (laughs)
1: yeah well of course yeah (laughs) um
0: awesome what about and just your thoughts and maybe you don't have any thoughts on it but some people make the connection to agag with gog. what are your thoughts Mm. on that whole
1: yeah i i I considered that um I, i don't think it's a very strong connection um first of all it's only in the septuagint and uh you know agog is is just much much later um well very different should i just say that and so i forget why but i i just didn't feel like there was enough evidence to really support that claim
0: i think the main um, thing that people raise yeah. is that it's brought up in numbers um and it's that prophecy of balaam uh, let's mm-hmm. find it here real quick right numbers 24 7 he will pour the water out of his buckets and then their descendants will be like abundant water their king will be greater than agag and their kingdom will be exalted so i, I mean yeah you could from that standpoint yeah. yes but the later agag i don't yeah. know
1: i think it, it to me it, it just created way more problems than it solved so i didn't <laughs> i didn't see uh, going down that path but i did consider it so awesome yeah
0: cool well yeah Yeah. i don't don't really have any more questions on the issue of god you want to tell us any more tidbits about what's in the book is there anything else we should know about
1: well yeah i mean there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff um so you know of course i mean it's like it reads like a three-part uh act you know three three acts basically uh, a three-part uh play or something like that um you know so by the time you get to the the end of, uh, act two, it looks like all is lost, right? That's, that's how a story typically goes, right? At the end of act two, uh, the hero has somehow lost his way. He's, he, he cannot solve the problems. He can't save the world. Oh my gosh, what do we do? And, um, so Israel is going to find themselves, uh, Jerusalem in particular is going to find themselves in this really, uh, really tight spot, right? So how, They've, they've made a covenant with death and shale. When you make a covenant with death, guess how long it's good for until you're dead. So how do you get out of a covenant with death and shale? God says that he's going to annul it. But again, God can't just snap his fingers and say, well, I'm annulling that because I feel like it. It doesn't work that way. Jesus asked, hey, Father, is there any other way besides me drinking this cup? You know what's that? No? Okay. I'll drink the cup right that's what happened in the garden when he was praying is the father said "Mm, sorry there's no other way why was there no other way because it was a legal thing it has to be done legally if God does not do things legally then he's a liar he's a cheat and Satan could use that against him and of course God's not tempted but understand that God has to do things because that's his character is to do things righteously. It just, I mean, it, it's inconceivable that they could do it any other way. So, how does Israel get out of this situation? How do the lead, how does the leadership of Jerusalem get out of this pickle? And uh, it was it was pretty incredible as I was just contemplating it. You know, God just is like, well, check this out, right? So, the leadership of Jerusalem. I'm talking about the same leadership that rejected jesus that said i know the the masses are accepting you but we the leadership we don't accept you and so jesus became the stone that the builders rejected so we're going to have a same the same office of the builders different men different individuals but same office sanhedrin yeah they're going to have to come to a new conclusion about yeshua But but where are they right now, as far as covenants go? They're under the old covenant because they have not officially, nationally, accepted the new covenant. Now we know that there are a lot of individual Jews who have accepted Jesus and they're in the new covenant. But on a national level, there has been no national acceptance of the new covenant. So this is where it's really cool. So when they finally acknowledge and look to yeshua as the one that they pierce and it says that they're going to weep as one mourns for an only child that they're going to they're going to finally acknowledge oh my we crucified the king of life oops and this is going to be a major heartbreak and then they're going to enter into the new covenant what happens when you enter into the new covenant all of the old obligations and debts that were connected to the old marriage contract are what? Null and void. Isn't it cool? I was like, oh man, God just blew my mind that, you know, it's not magic. It's not God just snapping the big fingers, but it's God acting within his own laws, his own principles and never compromising anything. And so when they finally look to, not look upon, but look to the one that they pierced, why are they going to weep? Not because like, oh, no, is, that, is he coming back today? No, no. That Sadly, that word has been mistranslated in the Hebrew. It doesn't say that they're going to look upon me. That, that would be alai in Hebrew. But it's they're going to look alay. They're going to look to me, toward me. What's the difference? Huge. One is alai is with your eyes. You're like, oh, here he comes. The other one is like, hey, help me. Okay, help me. I need your help. I'm looking to you to, fo- to, to, to solve my problem. Yep.
0: Um,
1: and, and there's probably not an, an ocular seeing him. There's no vision involved in that, probably, but, but they're looking to him for their, for their answer. And that is when they're going to, when they really do, you know, heart to heart, you know, they, they dig deep and they look in their own texts that say Messiah should have come about 2,000 years ago we missed him why and it says in the footnote it's because of our sin they're going to read that i I, that's my prediction that they're going to read that they're going to say wait a second there was a messiah that came about 2000 years ago (laughs) his name was yeshua right remember that and and they're going to talk it over and then they're going to revote they're going to vote on yeshua and say you know what yeah he's actually messiah they're probably going to open up Isaiah 53, or they have it memorized, and they say, you know, we just thought he was uh, despised uh, by God. We, there was nothing comely or beautiful about him that we should have taken notice. Right? We just thought he was stricken and afflicted, and that he was getting what he deserved. Now we, now we get it, you know. And um, and so when they, when they finally come to this, this you know, come to Jesus moment, that that is when they are going to cry out they're going to say the words that yeshua gave them as an ultimatum you won't see my face again until you say baruch haba b'shem adonai right so they are going to utter those words baruch haba b'shem adonai and that is when jesus rips open the sky and he says i'm coming i'm coming my beloved i'm coming to kick butt i'm coming to save you and that is when the battle of armageddon is going to begin Right. And it's epic. I mean, I go through a blow by blow in the book to show there's so much in scripture that talks about what's coming. So, you know, I mean, there's just way too much information, but it was really exciting to to get into it. And it shows us that this battle is going to happen in Jerusalem, not up north. It's not going to be in the valley of Megiddo, not the um, according to what people believe the word to mean. It should be Har Megiddo, right? But I, I even take issue with that because it's I don't, don't think G'don. that's
0: what... Right.
1: Yeah, it's it's Arema Gedon, right? Yeah. So it's it's the um, the sheaves in the Valley of Judgment. Oh my goodness, this makes so much more sense. Right. And it's in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. They're the same... Well, they're almost the same place. Yeah. They're almost the same place. Proximity so, is
0: that right there.
1: Exactly, right? So the, the reality is that the Valley of the Judgment of the sheaves does not yet exist, but it, it's going to be perpendicular to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the Kidron Valley. Right. And when Jesus puts his feet on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two, that is your Valley of the Judgment of the Sheaves. That's mm. the Valley okay. that it does not exist yet, but yeah. it will once he puts his foot down. Makes Right. Sense. And, I
0: never, never connected that, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And, and then he just, you know, he slices and dices because he's got rays of light coming out of his yep. hands and and that's where the blood's going to come up to the horse's bridle. Because now you're in a canyon. You're not over in a long, uh, open, expansive field where the blood could just keep finding its own level. But now it's there's walls on the side. That makes sense why the blood would go up to the horse's bridle. And, uh, yeah, he, he takes care of them. He, he destroys uh, the Antichrist beast. And then he calls the birds down to... <coughs> come get their dinner (laughs) right
0: (laughs) (laughs) messianic banquet
1: (laughs) Yep, one for the
0: birds one for the people yeah no that's that's amazing that's amazing now I, i i several things i was thinking as you were going along there i mean it's i agree with it i have you know everyone has their theories exactly you know the nature of things i tend to think that the um antichrist or false christ is going to present himself as a messianic figure not necessarily that he was born in Jerusalem or even born in Israel for that matter but I think he's going to present himself as a messianic figure enough so that the nations accept him and that the Jewish people accept him as a messianic figure and I think Mm -hmm. that's an important distinction because there seems to be a time in which it's working Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden he makes his move and then there's this, and in, in the book of Daniel, you'll see this, that there's some that know their God and other texts that resist it. They resist what this guy is doing all of a sudden because they, re- they recognize something's wrong. Something's not right here. He's sitting in the mm-hmm. temple, he's doing this stuff, you know, it's sacrilegious and they start resisting. And of course he starts persecuting those who resist him. And it's in that context where I believe you start to have this turning, the heart turn of the, the surviving Jews, okay, who can survive right. that persecution, right. who who make that cry that Jesus very clearly in Matthew twenty three tells the the ruling class, the Torah scholars and the Pharisees, um, of course Sadducees, but just in that context, well, to you you know Pharisees and Torah scholars, scholars, um, that I will not return until you see blessed. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is of course quoting from the Psalms, but still. Unmistakable. And to me, like, you know, the Jewish people, and you've been you've been in Israel more than I have, but you've been there for a while. And you know that for a Orthodox Jew to accept a Messiah figure, you know, there's kind of a parameter around that. You know, there's a semblance of what this person is going to be, what he's going to represent. Warriors, not a problem, you know, kind of a warring figure figure who goes around conquering is not an issue because they believe that's you know messianic, definitely. And uh, coming in and ultimately what they're looking for is that golden age, you know, mm-hmm. they're looking for that messianic age, that Davidic age, where, you know, the tribes will be reuni- reunified, there's going to be this kind of revival, if you will, of Israel. And I honestly think that's part of the deception that that he is trying to appear as, though he is Messiah, um, ben, ben David, but but ultimately he's not he doesn't do it because the sign and this is just what i look at is the sign that jesus gave um to caiaphas that the antichrist will not be able to match is is daniel's uh seven and that is that you will see the son of man coming in the clouds Mm -hmm. because that's the one thing that satan can't do he doesn't have the authority he doesn't have the the what with the picture we see there in daniel i think it's seven Mm -hmm. maybe it's nine um Mm -hmm. anyway so i make that connection too that jesus lays that that sign as listen you see that you know it's me you will see the son of man coming in the clouds Mm -hmm. the other guy might do everything else he might do everything that a messiah is supposed to do conquer in the name whatever in israel and unify and you know fix the world's issues etc but he will not do that that's Hmm. something that's left for him but that's cool Anyway, yeah. um, anything else? Not that I
1: can think of.
0: Yeah. Loved it so far. Well, I, I look forward to getting the book, obviously. Um, tell us a little bit where, where people can find it when it comes out. Obviously, in a couple of days, days. So just give us some information.
1: Yep, absolutely. So Corrupting the Image, Volume 3, you can go to Amazon.com and get it there. Or it will be available on my website, DouglasHamp.com forward slash store it'll be available there um well give me a little bit <laughs> but i'll have it available give me a week okay but it'll be available uh and we'll have the the paperback available uh sometime next week awesome. so yeah so i'm really excited so if they want to get the kindle they can get that uh it's um uh, not pre-order price anymore but still it's uh 2.99 so that's still a pretty good price if people want to do that
0: so to steal yeah when authors authors don't get rich
1: no we don't
0: (laughs) no well congratulations and thank you for the effort and time that you've put into it i know it's anytime you write a book it's a lot of work that goes into a lot of blood sweat and tears and prayer and time and you know that's how it works but we we appreciate it so thank you i appreciate it Matt.
1: thanks so much thanks for
0: having me